Welcome to Monsters Among Us. I am your guide, Derek Hayes. Welcome back, everyone. I trust you all had an excellent Thanksgiving. Well, at least for those stateside. I have an awesome show put together for you this evening. One filled with calls from all over North America. But before we get started, a little house cleaning. With the new hour-long format, I'm burning through listener-submitted stories at an extremely quick pace. While that makes for a much better listening experience, it also makes it difficult to keep calls in my pocket for the following week's shows. So, if you've been toying with the idea of sharing your very own experience, I ask, nay, I beg that you take a few moments and do so now. Submitting is easy and free. Simply call the hotline at 1-888-608-NIGHT. That's 1-888-608-6444. Wait for the recording to prompt you, then leave your story in the form of a voicemail. Keep in mind that each call is limited to 5 minutes, so if you get cut off, simply call back and pick up where you left off. If you're not the telephone type, you can also submit via email at monstersamonguspodcast at gmail.com or click on the Report Your Sightings tab on the website, which is monstersamonguspodcast.com. Lastly, for my listeners from other countries, you can record your very own stories on your phone and or computer and simply email the mp3 over to me. So there you go. Several ways to submit, so please do so today. Alright, let's get on with tonight's episode. Typically, when someone experiences something strange, the event is referred to as a sighting. A UFO sighting over this place, and a Bigfoot sighting by so-and-so. That noun has become synonymous with strange activity and the paranormal. Hell, they even had a show in the early 90s called Sightings that explored the wild world of the paranormal. A show I was a huge fan of as a kid. Sometimes a sighting doesn't involve seeing an actual culprit at all, but instead, hearing or feeling. And that's just the case with our first caller of the evening. Some of you may remember Kevin from his last submission, an actual sighting of a demon dog on the dark back roads of Vermont. Well, he's back with another tale about an event that took place several years ago. Hey Derek, my name's Kevin. Uh, I called in a while ago with the uh, the weird dog thing in the road uh, in Vermont. Um, I have another one that I wanted to call and tell you about. It's not quite as dramatic. Uh, a bit of a longer story, but it kind of I, I have to tell it all to have it make sense. Um, it was actually the same year as my uh, sighting with that thing, except it was in the spring uh, of that year, so it was before the before the, the dog. Um, I was working for a pest control company, a pretty well-known one. They uh, have a big red diamond on the side of their trucks and whatnot. I'm not going to go into who it is, but um, 
I was called to go do a mosquito service at a customer's house in the town of Elmore, which is uh, about two hours north of where I live. Um, it's just just northeast of uh, the town of Stowe, which is a pretty big uh, like ski resort kind of town, uh, stuff like that. Um, but the town of Elmore is, is tiny. There is, uh, there's two, pretty much two variations of people that are there. It's the farmers that live there and the people that live there in the spring and summer uh, before it gets miserable in Vermont. Um, and the location I was going to is on Elmore Mountain. It was a uh, uh, kind of like a, a summer home kind of place um, up at the very, very top of the mountains, pretty steep uh, dirt road. Um, about halfway up the road, there's a big log in the middle of the road to stop you from going any further in the winter because uh, the town maintains the road up to a certain point. Um, and then they move the log in the spring before people start going up there. Um, I was the first person that had been up there um, that for that season, so I had to get out and take the log out of the way and proceed another, I don't know, I'd say probably mile and a half up the road to get to this house. So I get there, I'm getting all my uh, uh, my chemicals and stuff I got ready. Um, the mosquito sprayer that we use is a big backpack unit. It's uh, it's like one of the big leaf blowers that you see people with outside. Uh, it's, a, it's got a motor on the bottom that's very, very loud. Um, and then a three-gallon um, water tank that sits on top of it that we uh, you mix the water and your chemicals with to, to treat the... Um, the trees and shrubs and stuff around the house to help keep mosquitoes at bay. Um, this thing's very, very loud, so when you're using it, you have to have earplugs in, or else it'll it'll deafen you after you know a certain amount of time of using it. So I'm going around doing my service at the customer's house, and I start hearing something slamming, like slamming around through the woods, like you know smashing through the trees and whatnot. Um, so I shut my mosquito sprayer off and take the thing off because once you shut it off you have to it's a, a pulse start like a lawnmower to get it going again and i'm standing there listening and i don't hear it anymore so I, just before i got it started i heard it again and it sounded like something really big going out through the woods and i couldn't quite tell what it was i didn't really think anything of it and i got going again um and the second time it happened i started hearing the noises i could actually hear it over the, uh, the the unit that I have on my back that's running. So I shut it off because I was done with the service, so I was doing my paperwork and stuff in the truck, just kind of keeping an eye out, maybe thinking, you know, maybe it's deer or something like that running through the woods. Um, so I'm doing my paperwork. It was all digital on, a, uh, on my work phone. And I start hearing a tinking sound, thinking, like, what the hell is that? I don't understand what this noise is. And I keep hearing it, and it sounds like something hitting, hitting glass. So I stop, and I'm just sitting in my truck being very quiet, very still. Um, and I look out the driver's side window just as, I, as a little rock, like a, like a tiny, tiny little pebble hit my window. And I thought, my first thought was, there's somebody up here messing with me. Then my mind went back to the fact that I had to move this giant log to go up through. Um, there was no tire track there before me. There was no uh, ATV tracks, no truck tracks, nothing like that. Um, it was just a you know a, a dirt road, so you would see the tracks in it. Um, so I kind of just finished up my paperwork. I printed it out on my little uh, mobile printer in my truck. Went up and stuck the paperwork in the, in the the door for the customers because they weren't they hadn't been there yet. Um, so I get back in my truck and I I back up to. Um, get ready to leave and I hear the noise again and at first I, I really didn't think I saw what I saw with the, the pebble hit my window then I kind of thought maybe it's hail and then I realized that it's gorgeous day it was like probably the mid to upper 60s bright blue sky so it's obviously not hail as I'm pulling back out of the driveway another rock hit on the passenger side, which would have been where I was uh, for the driver's side window when I was sitting there before I backed up. So I stopped and I rolled my window down 
to see if I could possibly see anything in the woods. And I sat there for another couple of minutes. Um, nothing happened. So I lean over and I rolled the window back up and I put my truck back in gear and start back down the road. Um, I get to the base of the customer's driveway before I get back onto the road and a log. Um, I, <laughs> I didn't get, I didn't get out and go back to look at it, but I would say it was probably two and a half to three feet long. Um, it was, it was a good size around, not like, uh, not like a not like what you'd think for like firewood, but you know, a good size, you know, diameter log. Uh came out of the trees out of the tree line, uh, straight. So parallel to the ground. Like someone had kind of picked it up and tossed it, like they were trying to toss it back into the road. Um I watched it land behind my truck in the rear view mirror, and as soon as it hit the ground, I just stomped on the gas and took off. Um I didn't want to stick around to see what what was there um the next month i went back up to redo the service because it's a monthly service for seasonal so it'd be like march through october um and i was talking to the lady that was up there uh she she was an older lady she was in her uh i'd say mid to late 80s um and i told her what had happened last time i was there and she with a straight face just as serious could be just told me yep that happens uh they throw uh, little rocks at our windows when we're up here and then uh, you know they leave us alone after a few weeks and I said who are they and she said oh there's there's people out in the woods and to myself there's people in the woods and her daughter uh, was with her she was she's younger she was probably uh, in her late 40s early 50s um, kind of pulled her back into the house and came back outside and she said We've seen things out here that I don't want to talk about. Have a nice day and send me on my way. No, I just wanted to call and uh, and share that story with you. Um, I've got a few more. Um, I might actually call back in later this week with the one for uh, for another episode if you're interested. Um, keep up the good work. Love the show. Thanks. Thank you, Kevin. This is a fun one. Not only do we have the strange occurrences observed by Kevin, but we also get verification of sorts from the family that owned the home. I'm going to go ahead and jump to conclusions here and assume that what we're talking about is a Bigfoot. After all, it is widely suspected that Bigfoot or Sasquatch throws stones and logs, and it's scientifically proven that many large primates also partake in similar behavior. So let's just presume here. After making that connection, my mind instantly went to the plausibility of the whole thing. How many other Bigfoot reports have come out of the state of Vermont? It's not exactly a huge state, nor is it located in a vastly unexplored region of the country. So, naturally, I did a little digging. According to the BFRO's website, that's the Bigfoot Field Research Organization, there have been nine Bigfoot sightings reported since 1984 two of which reportedly took place in Lamoille County, the county in which Kevin's encounter took place. I have to be honest here, two reports is two more than I expected that county to have, so this piqued my interest. Further digging found the following story by Vermont resident Dax Rushlow. Uh, I'm Dax Rushlow. I'm originally from Newport, Vermont. Uh, grew up there most of my li- young life, I should say. My significant sighting was 1987, and I was 15. Um, I was out, it was January, I was uh, out on a snowmobile at a girlfriend's house. So I remember leaving a little late, it was dark, I uh, got on my snowmobile, I remember it was snowing. I decided not to take the snowmobile trail because uh, it had been snowing so much that the snowbanks had built up and it was just going to be a pain to get up in there. I was like, screw it. I'm just going back down the dirt road. It was covered with snow. So I started down the uh, dirt road. There was a row of trees coming up. All of a sudden, my headlight picks up uh, like a large object off to the left, just before the set of trees. And I didn't know what it was. I just knew usually it wasn't there. There's nothing there. It's just a field, farm field, you know. Um, As I got a little closer, I started to notice it looked like a person, 
but like really kind of weird looking person, you know, looked like somebody on stilts with weird long arms, but big. And uh, as I came closer, I stopped probably 15 feet away. I would estimate 15 feet away. It was at a diagonal because it was standing in the snowbank on the side of the road. Now, when I stopped, it was kind of looking straight across the road, facing its body, but its head was looking at me, but then it shifted just its body to like face my direction. And I'm sitting there on the snowmobile now, down on the road, and it's up on a snowbank, and I'm looking at it, and I can see it, and I can see little bits of hair blowing. Uh, it, it either had dark black hair with gray hair in it, or it was wet and you could see it, or it was just shiny, and I would get pieces of it as it would, like, kind of just shift a little bit and do stuff like that. You would see, like, flashes of, like, lighter hair. I remember looking kind of more at the uh, the face. It had a look on its face like uh, it it was almost like confused or like agitated at something. Like it, it didn't look like it was coming at me. It just looked shocked. I remember the mouth was the most prominent part. It had very thick, squared, you know, kind of mouth area, but it had this white frothy stuff like built up in the corners of its mouth oh it was I would say as big as a regular cow but a person whatever it was that was standing there looked like a giant ugly Neanderthal type human being and I remember the feeling uh, just feeling like uh, like I got loaded up with cement or something. I couldn't, I couldn't move. Everything slowed down. I'm staring at this thing and it's blinking. I could see the chest move in and out. Uh, looked like it had probably come a little ways across this field, which was, you know, we had two, three feet of snow and stopped and just looked at me. And the one thing I think to this day is the only reason I got to see it was I think it, it probably thought I was going to take the snowmobile trip, which I didn't. I cheated. You know, I so like, screw that. I went straight down the road. I think it was going to cross that road, and I cut it off. I don't remember ever hitting that gas on that snowmobile or thinking, oh, God, I got to go. I was just going, and that was it, you know, and there was no thought process to the minute I saw it and we sat there for like 10 seconds or whatever and then then when I hit the I don't remember anything of that I just remember oh my god don't come down off the snowbank I never even took any of the snowmobile trails home I crossed set of railroad tracks went down the main road pulled into my driveway and I usually used to park over in our we had a a big barn like a not with no animals in it you know it's like a big storage barn I used to uh, open the door and pull it in there. I didn't even, I pulled up to the front porch of the house and shut the sled off, went in, and there was nobody there. And I remember going through and sitting and looking out the window and being happy nobody was there because I didn't want to have to talk to anybody. I don't know what it was. I mean, it's, to me, that, that was a Sasquatch, you know? And that was my close encounter kind of site. A link to that video, which was submitted by YouTube user Sasquatch, Out of the Shadows, can be found in the show notes for tonight's episode. It appears that, despite being in a highly populated corner of the country, there might just be something large and undiscovered lurking in the forests of Vermont. Thank you again, Kevin, for sharing yet another amazing story. Up next, we have a strange tale about a woman that may or may not be one of the infamous Melonheads. This is Donald's call from South Carolina. Hi, my name is Donald. I'm from uh, South Carolina Coastal. Uh, 
Uh, my story basically goes, uh, it was around this last uh, round of hurricanes that came up the East Coast through Florida and into the Carolinas. We were trying to prepare for the hurricane. It was uh, actually uh, right before, like the two days before, and I was trying to get supplies. So I was at Harbor Freight Tools, and I was waiting to get uh, waiting to get in the store. Uh, hadn't opened yet, and uh, I'm standing there uh, noticing somebody in front of me. It was a woman, a little on the short side, kind of uh, had very weird-looking skin and had had a kind of a weird shape and had these sprigs of hair. And we, uh, when I heard the uh, one of your callers, uh, it jogged my memory on this. But she had this really weird hair, and she was in front of me, and she just kind of looked just something way off about her. And I just was watching her and watching her from behind, and taking sympathy on her, thinking, you know, was she a burn victim? You know, was she just deformed? Were they birth defects? I didn't know. Sure enough, she slowly turned her head and just locked eyes with me. It kind of sent a chill down my spine, and uh, I was just really taken back by that, and I did look away. This store opened up a couple seconds later, and everybody went in, and I was walking through the store, and it wasn't even that big of a location, and she was nowhere to be found in the store. I didn't see her again. And the odd thing was nobody else noticed her. No one else had taken uh, any interest in her. Um, I am a former uh, officer from Homeland Security, and I am a trained observer. It just really shocked me how no one else noticed this individual. Once again, you know, from your uh, other caller, one of your other episodes who uh, mentioned the two people with the odd kind of small melon-shaped heads it jogged my memory, and um, I just figured I'd call and uh, leave this with you guys. Anyway, uh, love the show, so, and thank you so much. Goodbye. Thank you, Donald. I'd like to start off by saying that I used and use the term melonhead strictly in the reference of folklore. I do not intend to make fun or exploit anyone's physical ailments, nor do I assume that any of my callers are as well. So, with that out of the way, my first observation is this. There are countless diseases, birth defects, and injuries that could cause someone to appear different. So, it is very plausible that the person Donald experienced simply falls under that category. Some poor soul with a physical disability. A little side story for perspective. In and just after high school, I used to work at a small grocery store in my hometown. One of my duties there was as a grocery porter. I'd bag a customer's groceries and tote them to their car in a cool little cart. After working there a few years, I got to know many of my customers, two of which were little old ladies that always came in right when we opened. I'd always assumed that these particular ladies did so to avoid large crowds because, you see, each had her own physical ailment that caused their appearance to become somewhat jarring. The first had a very large hump between her shoulders that caused her to slump terribly. The other was covered in what appeared to be moles or skin tags. I'd always thought that they came into the store so early to avoid the prying eyes of small-town America. The same can be said for the lady that Donald witnessed. Perhaps she knew that if she shopped early in the morning, her chances of gaining unwanted attention would be lowered considerably. But that does not explain how she managed to disappear so easily once inside the establishment. I find that detail much more difficult to explain away. Thanks again, Donald, for taking the time to share. I hope the hurricanes were kind to you and your family. Next up is a written submission from D in Texas. Hi, I'm D from San Antonio, Texas. I recently started listening to your podcast and I'm addicted. I love it. I have several weird, unexplainable things that have occurred that I'd love to share. Today, I'll start with this one. One night, my boyfriend and I were driving down the Axis Road of Highway 151. We've driven this road often. We were headed to the store at about 9 p.m. I remember it was a cloudy night. The area we were driving in is near Lackland Air Force Base, so we are accustomed to seeing military airplanes around the sky. This night, we saw something we couldn't quite explain. As we were driving down the road, we noticed three lights in the distance, above a field that's to the right of the road. The lights were in the form of a triangle 
and they were a good distance away. At first, we thought it was a plane, but as we approached, we noticed it was not steadily moving, but was hovering. There weren't any red lights or blinking lights like you usually see on planes. As we continued approaching it, we can see that this object was huge and continued to hover as we approached. I was in the passenger seat, so I rolled down my window as we were passing it, and I remember this thing didn't make any noise. I couldn't make out any details of the object. I only recall seeing the lights at the tips. But the object was so dark, it's almost like we were seeing the silhouette of it against the night sky. Almost daily, I hear huge military cargo planes flying overhead, and they're loud. This was silent. I took out my phone and tried to record what we were seeing, but I couldn't get a good enough recording as it was dark, and my phone at the time had horrible video quality. This was about six years ago. All you could hear was us freaking out, asking each other if we were seeing the same thing. Well, we passed it up. It's still hovering as we approach the intersection we need to turn on, and at this point I'm looking back to see it, and it's still there. I remember turning back to my boyfriend to tell him something, and Then I turned back to look at the object, and it's gone. We didn't see it anywhere. We were both stunned and pretty much creeped out. I drive through that area daily, and I haven't seen anything similar. I've often thought maybe it was some sort of secret military flying vehicle, or maybe it was something otherworldly. Anyway, that's my story. Hope you enjoy. D. Thank you, D, for that submission. This sounds like the classic flying wedge, a commonly reported UFO that's said to be triangular in shape with blinking lights on the corners. Witnesses have described the craft as massive. Some reports suggest the span to be measured in miles rather than yards or feet. To shed some light on this otherwise darkened vehicle, I present the following clip from YouTube user Unexplained Mysteries. Unidentified flying object is the popular term for any aerial phenomenon whose cause cannot be easily or immediately identified. Both military and civilian research shows that a significant majority of UFO sightings have been identified after further investigation. Typically, most sightings turn out to be either stars, planets, advertising planes, optical illusions, and hoaxes. Skeptics argue that the remainder of the reports could probably be explained if additional information were available. In the last 30 years or so, the triangle shape has become a topic of much discussion. Often reported as flying low and running silent with several lights on the bottom. Sightings of these objects often comes in waves, and they are reported as being able to go from a crawl to a high-speed departure in a matter of seconds. Many feel that the triangle UFO may be a top-secret government craft, still in the experimental stage and more than likely designed with military implications. Some researchers feel that the next step in the stealth series of craft, capable of flying low and making their exits without being detected by enemy radar. This type of craft would be indispensable for enemy surveillance, especially with weapon capabilities. Although the triangle craft seems to be a dark mysterious entity, according to researcher and author Clyde Lewis, triangle sightings in the UK are almost an everyday occurrence. He states in his article, There have been approximately 4,000 reports of triangles since 1990 in the UK alone. There have also been waves of triangle sightings in Belgium, France, Holland and Germany. On March 30th, 1993, multiple witnesses across South West and West England saw a large black triangle at low speeds. Analysis of the sighting by Nick Pope concluded that the object moved in a northeasterly course from Cornwall to Shropshire over a period of approximately six hours. The Kenosha UFO wave began in December 2016. The events of the 17th of February were documented by multiple groups of witnesses. All of the reports consist of multiple dark triangular objects in the sky with blinking white and red lights. The craft was also seen on the 19th of January 2017, barely hovering above the ground. The object was described as dark on the bottom with lights and silvery on top. The Phoenix lights were a series of widely sighted unidentified flying objects observed in the skies over Arizona Nevada in the United States and Sonora, Mexico on Thursday the 13th of March 1997. There were allegedly two distinct events involved in the incident. A triangular formation of lights seemed to pass over the state, 
and a series of stationary lights seen in the Phoenix area. The United States Air Force identified the second group of lights as flares dropped by an A-10 Warthog. That's were on training exercises at the Barry Goldwater Range in southwest Arizona. These flares have a burn time of around 5 minutes, but this contradicts the sighting. The craft was seen for more than 3 hours, so some have questioned how it could have been flares. The governor at the time was one witness to the incident. He later called the object otherworldly. I'll post a link in the show notes to further details regarding this strange and mysterious vehicle. Thank you again, Dee, for sharing your experience. What do you say we dip into a little ghost action? Now, I'm assuming that the following caller is still in the early seasons of the show since she refers to it as the old name, Here There Be Monsters. For those that weren't around for the early episodes, this show was once known as Here There Be Monsters for the first season and a half. That is, until another show by a similar name requested that I change the name to avoid confusion. Rather than spend a ton of time and money in court, I opted to simply change the name to Monsters Among Us. So now, armed with that knowledge, this is an anonymous call from Canada. Hello, here there, me monsters. Um, this happened about 10 years ago, so 2007 or so. I was still living at home, um, and my mom lives in this tiny town, about 2,000 people, maybe half an hour's drive outside of Montreal, Quebec, Canada. And it was definitely a place where weird stuff had a tendency to happen. My ex-girlfriend's house was, um, my ex-girlfriend's mom was a medium, and she was called to a variety of houses where there were rumors of paranormal occurrences. And my best friend, who lived a few blocks from me, also had a store of hearing organ music in her house at night, but she didn't own any instruments at all. So my story happened in the middle of the night. For context, my dad passed away when I was about 14, and at the time I was 19 or 20. I was fast asleep, and out of nowhere I woke up very suddenly. I was, I still clearly remember just shooting awake. I was, so I wasn't half asleep, I wasn't groggy, I was wide, wide awake. And my bedroom was on the second floor of the house at the time this happened, and I was having my curtains fixed so my window had no blinds. And I remember that the moon was really, really bright, and it really completely illuminated my room. So I wake up, and I couldn't figure out what had uh, woken me up. Um, And when I rolled over, I saw a tall, skinny silhouette standing in front of my desk. So I was seeing him from the side. The person wasn't foggy or like a shadow. He looked very, very solid. They were standing, like, right in front of me. My younger brother, who's very tall and skinny, sort of looked like this shadow, so I assumed it was him, and I called his name, but the shadow did not react at all. I moved to turn on my light, but there was nothing there. It really, really freaked me out, and I don't think I slept at all for the rest of the night. To this day, I have no idea what I saw, if it was real, or if it was my dad's spirit, or if it was just my mind playing tricks on me. Anyway, thanks for letting my... Let me share my story. Take care. Thank you, caller, for sharing your story. Reports of thin entities are not unheard of. There's even an entity called the Thin Man, a specter some claim the character Slender Man was originally based upon. While this fact is highly debated, there have been several reports of this entity going back decades. What he is remains to be known, but like the Hat Man and Grinning Man, I would certainly hate to wake up to find him in my room. Thank you again, caller, for taking the time to share. Before we move on to our next call of the evening, I want to read a message I received from a listener regarding a call played on the last episode. You may remember on episode 13 of season 4, I played a call from Jeremiah about a large dog-like creature he'd seen in the road in Oregon. Well, this listener, Edward, has this to say about that encounter. This email is regarding Jeremiah's large dog sighting. Everything he described to me made me think of two breeds in particular, the Irish Wolfhound and the Russian Wolfhound. These dogs are gigantic and long-legged, and I should note that sighthounds can easily revert back to a wild state if they were to get loose, run away, or be abandoned. The greasy look of the coat could be explained by lack of bathing, or even if it was damp or wet outside. 
Both of these dogs matched the long snout description that Jeremiah gave during his call. Another runner-up for that would be the Scottish Deerhound, but they are dwarfed in size by the Irish Wolfhound. None of these breeds are popularly known, and that could explain the unfamiliarity with the sighting. In the red lights, and looking at any one of these dogs from a small rearview mirror, they would loom large and look quite menacing. With respect to the Great Pyrenees, it's a flock guardian dog, not so much a shepherd. Flock guardians are fearless and routinely place themselves between the flock, in this case alpacas, and any sort of predatory danger. Just my thoughts, Edward. P.S. Love your podcast, and I love hearing these stories. Hope you archive these stories, as modern folklore doesn't seem to be cataloged anymore. Thank you, Edward. I admittedly do not know much about obscure dog breeds. As I've stated countless times on past episodes, I'm more of a cat person. But I did look at the images of each of the breeds he suggested, and I gotta say, if I were on a lonely stretch of darkened road and I saw any one of these dogs in my rear view, I'd instantly assume I was looking at a monster. These dogs are massive. I'll post links to each in the show notes, so have a look and judge for yourself. I suppose anything is possible. And as for the archiving, Edward, I do have all my submissions saved. What to do with them once they've aired is beyond me, but like you, I think it is very important to preserve these contemporary reports. So thank you again for chiming in. Next up is a call from Cameron in Pennsylvania detailing a strange nighttime visitor. Hello, um, I'm Cameron from Pennsylvania. Um, the story's kind of hard to explain. Um, it happened about 10 years ago now, back when I was still in high school. I study psychology as a student uh, currently, so I'm not prone to flights of fantasy, um, flights of fancy. I have a very scientific mindset, so prior to this, I hadn't really encountered anything uh, <laughs> like a monster before, I guess. So, the story goes, uh, I was in high school, and this occurred in my room in Pennsylvania. I sh- shared my room with my brother. Um, we have bunk beds. I'm, I was on the bottom bunk, and he was on the top. We have a door facing the west that enters the rest of the house, and we're kind of on the end of the house in that room. The, the room layout, I, I'm including just because I, I remember it, everything so clearly even to this day. Um, the beds were on the south wall. The, there was a window on the north, and then there was just a wall with like a desk on the, the east wall. And it was weird. Normally, I would say this was something like sleep paralysis or a, a dream, but it was it was different. Um, and the reason I know it was different was because I was having, I, I was asleep and I was having a regular dream and then I was interrupted. It was interrupted and I remember it because it, it was very, very vividly real. Um, when I dream, um, details are usually out of place and this, is, this was different. Um, everything was where it should be. Um, at nothing. It wasn't like a dreamscape. So I remember being able to see, even through the darkness, I, I remember being able to see a figure that was darker than the surrounding darkness. And I sleep in total darkness. And this figure was maybe seven feet tall. Uh, the best way I can describe it is it looked like the witch from Snow White, except seven feet tall. You couldn't see its face. Its face was just blackness. I remember seeing its eyes, its red glowing eyes, um, as it faced, it was facing, the, the, what's strange is it was facing the east wall, but I could still kind of see its eyes. It wasn't facing towards me, which I think would have put me over the edge. And all I remember is this cloaked, extremely tall, not human figure that I could see even through the dark was in my room. And I started hearing screaming. I, I kept hearing the words, holy crap, holy crap, over and over again. And eventually I realized it was me that was screaming. 
the next thing I know, it, it felt kind of like I woke up, and that that leads credence to yes, perhaps it was sleep paralysis. But the difference was like I didn't feel trapped, like I couldn't move. It was it was a very strange experience. I asked my uh, my brother was asking me what was wrong because I was still screaming. I should also mention like I haven't had night terrors in the past before. Anyway, um, he asked what's wrong, and I, t- I, I told him to turn on the light, and I asked if anything was there, and he said, no, I, I had been screaming. The only other thing I want to add is, generally, whenever you do experience things like night terrors, sleep paralysis, it happens multiple times. This only ever happened once, just this one time, 10 years ago. I don't know what it is. I... Uh, I again I subscribe heavily to science and logical thinking Um, perhaps what I saw was just sleep paralysis or a night terror but it certainly didn't feel that way and it it's hard for me to believe that that's what that what it was Uh, I woke up the whole house with my screaming and uh, it was hard after that that incident um, for a long time to rest easy. Well, I wanted to share my experience. That's the one, the one um, really interesting kind of scary experience that happened to me. And uh, I love your podcast, and I hope to hear more. Uh, bye. Thank you, Cameron. Now I've been accused a time or two of dismissing listener reports, or for lack of a better term, debunking. I think I've made it very clear that I do not intentionally question a witness's judgment, nor do I intend to devalue their experience in any way. And Cameron's case is no different. What I try to do is offer up logical explanations for an otherwise illogical situation. After all, as boring as it may be, the most logical explanation is probably the most likely. So, I will say this. What Cameron described sounds like sleep paralysis to me. The classic signs are all there. I know that he mentioned that it felt way too real to be sleep paralysis, and that is actually something I've said myself several times. But that seems to be the nature of that experience. But of course, this wouldn't be a paranormal show if we didn't explore all angles of this experience. Two details that leave me scratching my head are as follows. As Cameron said, the experience only happened once, ten years ago. One would think that if he actually suffered from the sleep disorder, it would have happened again at some point. And the second being that if he was awake, moving around, and talking with his brother during his experience, that sort of rules out total sleep paralysis. Once you are up, moving, and communicating, your mind sort of snaps back to reality, causing all the weird stuff to kind of go away. It seems that it didn't exactly work that way for Cameron. So that leaves us with one question. What did he see? Perhaps he awoke in time to catch a nighttime visitor. One from another time, or at the very least, another dimension. Thanks again, Cameron, for sharing your experience. I always enjoy when a scientifically minded person is forced to question what he or she believes. Alright, I have one more story to share with you all, but before I do... Your morning announcements. Get your shirts. I still have the infamous Mirrored Men shirts designed by Cryptid Zoo's Julian Meyer available in the shop. A cool kicker that I didn't even know about is that the shirts are interactive. Using a specially designed app, you can watch as your shirt comes alive, showing animated text and even the Mirrored Men themselves walking across your shirt. More on that special feature in the next episode. Julian is putting the final touches on that animation as we speak. Follow the show on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. And be sure to join the Monsters Among Us fan page. And I should add, if you're already on there, don't be afraid to post things that you find interesting. The entire point of the page is to allow fans of the show and Paranormal as a whole to share their experiences, communicate with one another, and post videos and images that they find fascinating. I should add that I'm currently looking for a volunteer admin for the page, someone that can help post items and keep all you monsters in check. 
So if this sounds like something you'd be interested in, please shoot me a message. Do me a favor and rate and review the show on iTunes. I'm about to break the 200 mark, which I frankly cannot believe. It's incredible to know that you guys care enough to post such inspiring and uplifting reviews. I take each message to heart, and in a weird way, each review helps me through the difficult parts of producing the show. So if you haven't yet left a review, please consider taking five minutes to do so. It'll mean the world to not only me, but to the growth of the show. The season four finale is fast approaching, and this time around, I think I'm going to revisit the Hometown Legends segment. So be thinking of your very own hometown story to share. I'll have further details on that in next week's episode. And lastly, thank you to Mr. Jeff S. for his kind and generous donation. It's through support from people like Jeff that keeps the episodes coming week in and week out. Alright. As promised, I have one more spooky story to share with you guys tonight. The following story was submitted by Will in Canada. Hey there. My name's Will, and I'm from Winnipeg, Manitoba, Canada. Uh, I had a weird experience a couple years ago. Me and uh, my brother and a couple friends were going to go watch the Perseids meteor shower. And uh, so we decided it'd be cool if we took his truck and we loaded up the box with pillows and blankets and stuff and then went out into a dark spot and watched the sky. So we decided to do this and we all met at my house north of Winnipeg and we grabbed a bunch of blankets and the pillows and as we were about to go load up the truck, like we walked outside and I noticed, I thought it was a shooting star, which is what we were going to see. So I pointed and said, look guys, there's the first one of the night. And so everyone looked up to the sky and it wasn't a star. It was really strange. Don't really know how to explain it. It was like a vertically undulating snake that was see-through. You could see the sky behind it, the stars. And it wasn't very high at all, like maybe twice the height of the trees. And all four of us saw it. And there was a smaller can't really remember what it looked like thing behind it, trailing it. But it flew from the south east to the northwest, just over my house. And yeah. Don't know how to explain it, don't know what it was. Thought it was really strange and wondering if maybe there's anything else like that out there. No one else has seen. But uh kind of reminded me of a Chinese dragon flying flying through the sky. Anyways, thanks for the show. Great. Nice to listen to on long drives. Have a good day. Bye. Thank you, Will. When I sit down to write each episode, one of the very first things I do is find a story to send to the show's illustrator, Corey Trim. I'll send him a story with a particularly visual twist, and a few days later, he sends me an illustration to post with the episode. And I might add, he does great work. Well, I chose Will's story for this week's illustration, and when talking to Corey about Will's call, he suggested that he thought Will might have seen the Aurora Borealis, or otherwise known as the Northern Lights. If you're wondering how the Northern Lights are formed, I will let How Stuff Works explain it to you. See, in the center of the Earth, you will find hot, molten iron just roiling around under tremendous gravitational pressure. And this roiling effect of the molten iron creates magnetic fields that shoot out from the center of Earth through the crust and into the space around the planet. That forms what's called the magnetosphere, and it's a good thing we have it because we're constantly being bombarded by charged particles from the sun. The sun is so hot that it exists in a fourth state of matter. There's gas, liquid, solid, and then plasma. 
And in plasma, ions, which are positively charged atoms, and electrons just float freely around one another. And these particles have such a high energy charge that they can escape the massive gravitational field of the sun and barrel toward Earth at like something around a million miles an hour, like a shotgun blast full of solar hate. That's called the solar wind. When these particles encounter our magnetosphere, most of them just kind of bounce harmlessly off. The Earth is saved, but some of them manage to get through at the places where the magnetosphere is weakest, at the North and South Poles. You follow me? When the electrons that make it through our magnetosphere and into our atmosphere encounter oxygen and nitrogen, the electrons transfer energy to these atoms and excite them. And to calm back down, the oxygen and the nitrogen have to shoot off some of this energy, which they do in the form of tiny packets of light called photons. Beautiful, beautiful photons. Depending on where in the atmosphere the electrons interact with the oxygen or the nitrogen, different colors will be produced. So, as Corey suggested, perhaps Will and his friends simply saw a faded northern light display, which would be consistent with his location. For those that see this phenomenon that aren't expecting it, the display can be quite jarring. But, playing the devil's advocate here, you'd think that someone living in Canada would be familiar with this commonplace, atmospherical event. Now, if Corey's suggestion wasn't enough, I had my very own thought on what might have been experienced that night. Perhaps a flock of migrating birds, or even bats, made its way through the night sky directly overhead. The rolling shape could easily resemble a snake, and wouldn't appear solid, allowing the stars to be seen through it. However, this theory could be easily debunked if the experiencers didn't detect sounds from the typically vocal creatures. Anyone that's been near a flock of birds can attest to the ruckus that they can make. So that leaves us with this question. What did they see that evening? A craft? A strange weather event? Or just a trick of the eye? We may never know the truth, but at least we got a great story out of it. Thank you again, Will, for sharing. And that's going to do it for this episode of Monsters Among Us. This episode was written and produced by me, Derek Hayes. Artwork was provided by Corey Trim. And music for this episode was provided by Mayu and Nature World 1986. Thank you all for listening, and until next week. 